to you by Barfoot and Thompson. On the show today, we chat with Andrew Ferguson from Deep Sea Ferguson Law, all things legal when it comes to insurance. Welcome to Property Matters. Welcome along to another Monday, and if you're listening on your drive home, I hope the traffic's been kind to you. I'm Stephen Dallow, great to have you on board. And of course, you can download all our podcasts on Spotify, Apple or Samsung Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. I'm sure we are there. And a big welcome to listeners listening all around the country and internationally. We've been amazed by how many emails lately from overseas. It's great that so many Kiwis are tuning in to check in on how their investment's going here in New Zealand. Now, I'm absolutely delighted this week to mix it up a bit and chat some legal stuff with the absolute fabulous Andrew Ferguson from Dempsey Ferguson Law. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Hi, Stephen. Great to have you along here on a Monday. Now, before we sort of talk about the legal side and insurance and things, let's get to know you first. So tell us a little bit about your career journey. Take us back. When did it all start for you in this space? Well, I'll go right back. I went to school in Pukekohe, um, educated, I went to university in Hamilton and then decided to go and learn how to be a lawyer in Australia, in Melbourne. Oh, wow. So I learnt litigation law over there, so dispute resolution. That was um, a method or a style of litigation that Australians uh, like to run, which is quite an aggressive, (laughs) almost macho style uh, (laughs) litigation. Um, Around 2011, I moved home um, to New Zealand and... uh, Worked for Auckland Council for a little while. They were being sued a lot, so right. someone to clean your work. <laughs> um, and around about 2014, I got an opportunity to go and help uh, people in Christchurch who were having uh, trouble se- settling their insurance claims with insurers coming out of the earthquakes. Um, still doing a little bit of that now, but I've sort of um, now started um, Dempsey Focus and Law and doing a little bit of different. Uh, stuff insurance and building law. Brilliant. What is it about the legal world that you love so much that's kept you engaged for so long? Well, to start with, it wasn't really that engaging. It was okay. a little bit scary and confusing. But um, now I really just like the fact that um, people give me problems and I work out how to solve them for them. Um, uh, I'm a sort of um, quite a one-on-one sort of practitioner, so I deal with people, they tell me their issue, and I help them solve it. So that gives me a lot of um, pleasure doing that sort of thing. Are New Zealand courtrooms anything like what we see on television? You know, the old LA Laws, or what was it, Boston Legal, or Ali <laughs> McBeal? Uh, <laughs> if only. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of lawyers that smoke cigars. But, right. um, but yeah, no, it's pretty boring in the courtroom, really. Yeah, probably a good thing, probably a good thing. So tell us a little bit about your company, Dempsey Ferguson Law. What do you specialise when it comes to to the law? So there's two types of litigation that we primarily do. That's insurance and building disputes. So the insurance is um, uh, property damage and that type of thing, and building disputes are if somebody's had a building that's been built incorrectly or they're having a fight with a builder, um... I assist the clients to get a resolution and get things sorted so they can move on with their lives. Okay. What made you, you know, go into this specific area? Uh, Almost by accident. Okay. So um, 
as a builder, I can't hammer a nail in straight. <laughs> but um, uh, when I moved to Australia, I worked for a, a boutique construction law firm. Um, so they taught me how to do construction disputes. Um, and it turns out I'm quite good at it. Uh, in New Zealand, I got involved in the insurance area for the people in Christchurch who had earthquake damaged houses. And um, I've now been doing that since 2014. So I've really learnt um, a lot about how to do it and um, how to get really good outcomes for people. So that's I specialise in those mm. two areas predominantly. Is that normal in New Zealand that law firms have their specific areas rather than sort of just general across the board or is it the bigger companies that perhaps have a have a mix? Yeah, um, earlier and like historically um, law firms were more general but um, lately or well, in the last sort of 20 to 30 years things have become a lot more specific. So you have sort of quite large firms that will um, deal with all sorts of different areas of the law but then smaller boutique firms that focus on uh, very specific types of the law. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So uh, when it comes to insurance law, what are the typical sort of claims that you're getting involved with? Okay, so um, there's the uh, earthquake damage claims that come out of Christchurch, but we haven't had too many large earthquakes um, recently. Um, uh, I deal with people whose houses burn down, for example. Um, uh, more recently, it's been um, claims that come out of floods and cyclones. So um, this is where your house might get damaged in a flood or there might be um, water damage. Um, but there may have been a landslip on your property as right. well. One of the difficulties with that is that you're dealing with your private insurer, so maybe Vero or, mm -hmm. or IAG, but also the Earthquake Commission, which is the right. government um, insurer, and they sort of deal with different parts of the same claim, so it can be a little bit confusing. So um, I've been dealing with that for quite a long time, so I know how to make it simple. So right. those are generally the sort of claims. And... Um, there's another type of claim called a business interruption claim. So if your office, for example, gets flooded and you can't go to work for a few months, um, those sort of insurance policies that cover your lost profits, I can deal with those as well. So there's been lots in the media about all the, the dramas from Uruguay earlier this year. Is that an example where people will be dealing with an insurance company EQC and local council as well? Is that yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's a very different sort of scenario because you've got you might have a house that's been damaged by the cyclone. You might have land that's been damaged by the cyclone. But in those, are, that's your private insurer and the earthquake commission. But in Mirawai, you've got a large cliff that hasn't actually caused any damage, but might cause some damage in the future. And so people are being kept out of their houses because of the threat from that large right. cliff. Right. Okay. It all gets a bit uh, confusing. Um, but I know. Um, this week, the government and councils have announced or are starting to announce different packages to buy out people in those situations. So it'll be interesting to see how they implement that policy. Mm. Mm. Um, to be clear, you're acting for the consumer, aren't you, not the insurance company? Yeah, that's sort of how I'm a little bit different to other insurance right. lawyers. A lot of insurance lawyers act for insurance companies. Um, I've never acted for insurance companies. I've spent my whole career acting against insurance companies right. for um, for homeowners, except for a short period where I work for the council. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty motivating to, mm. to act for um, people in that situation. And um, 
I quite like winning those sort of cases yeah. as well. You mentioned just before, you know, for an example, you know, if someone had a house fire, they might mm. engage with you. What point would someone need to engage with you in that situation versus just dealing with their insurance company themselves? What makes you then need to bring on a lawyer? Is it because you're disputing perhaps how the fire started or...? Um, Maybe if you're if you're disputing how the fire started, you definitely need a lawyer. Yeah. Um, where where it's you're more likely to get me involved is where there's a dispute about how much the insurance company is going to pay, and the reason that there'll be a dispute about how much they're going to pay will be there might be a dispute about how badly the house is damaged, or uh, how okay. you fix the house, or how much it will cost to fix the house. So. Um, any time along the mm. um, claim that you find yourself in that sort of dispute, um, that's where I can jump in and show you how to deal with it. Okay. Now, you've been involved, as you said, in some major natural disasters in New Zealand. I'd like you to take us back to Christchurch, first of all. Talk about the journey for the residents and, you know, is it all sorted now or is it still ongoing? Well, it, for a lot of people it's been sorted, but for a lot of others it's still ongoing so I the, the earthquakes occurred in between 2010 and 2011 there were some later ones as well but those were the two major ones I didn't really get involved until 2014 so what what I was doing was acting for people to get their entitlement that they were um, right they get their entitlement from their insurers uh, over time the type of claims have changed from just an insurance claim and it's now people who have bought a house that perhaps wasn't correctly repaired and now and dealing with having to get that that house repaired for example um uh, some people just haven't got around to getting their claims Mm. sorted even this far out so there's quite a lot of um different issues at the moment but on the whole most of the insurance stuff has been um, tidied up in Christchurch, I think. There's still plenty. So during the busiest time, sort of what sort of volume of people were you having to help? Uh, hundreds and hundreds wow. of people, yeah. So it was um, it was uh, very high volume, uh, lots of long hours. Um, it was pretty stressful for the homeowners and residents that mm. were involved. Um, there were some sort of high points where we would get some really good outcomes for people um, and some low points um, having to talk to people who and help people through who were really stressed and really um, concerned about what was happening to them. So it was, um, there were there were some good times and some low times, mm. but generally um, got some very good outcomes for people. I won't ask you to name them, but did you find different insurance companies better to deal with during that process? Like, were you getting more positive outcomes and going, thank goodness it's with XYZ company because I know I'll be able to progress it, or was it a, a real mix? Um, it changed. So oh, really? One, one insurer would be quite good to deal with for 18 months and then for some reason that we could never work out that would change. Ran and out of money perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> or someone worked out they were paying too much or something mm. like that. So different um, insurers would act in different ways at different times throughout the period I, I worked for people there. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's certainly some that are better than others. Do you think as a country we've learnt from Christchurch, if this was to happen again, are we? Are the, is the EQC and councils and insurance providers in a better place now to deal with another natural disaster, or are we in a worse case because the funds are tight? Uh, a bit of both. Mm. So um, insurers have definitely learnt how to better respond to um, 
to large disasters, um, but learning to better respond doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's better for the insured customer. Mm. Um, it can be, but um, one of the problems that the insurance industry has is there's never enough people to deal with a high volume of claims, and so it, that can cause um, delays for people who make claims and that sort of thing. Um, uh, New Zealanders have certainly learnt that um, what you don't do is sit back and wait for mm. your insurance company or EQC to help you out. You get in and you um, prepare your claim yourself and get things lodged. Right. Because um, sitting around and waiting, as a New Zealander, our culture is that we assume that um, the state or different large organisations are going to help us, which they will, but only if you go and knock on their door or kick their door down mm. and make them help you. Do you ever look at examples from around the world and go, I wish we were like that, or thank goodness we're not like that? <laughs> um, New Zealand, weirdly, is one of the few countries that insures land, so I'm right. glad that we're in New Zealand and they right. insure land. Um, I see some disasters around the world and think, um, thank God we have insurance, because there are some countries that don't. Um, but, yeah, generally the New Zealand insurance situation is pretty good. Something that's changed, I think, since Christchurch is um, something called sum insured. So we used to just get house insurance and there was no limit on our insurance. One of the responses from Christchurch is that, as a rule, you have to put a top limit on how much you're insuring your house for, which is... Um, and most people just use the insurance calculator that's on their insurer's <laughs> website. Um, I can't give advice about this sort of thing because it's more of a um, broker's job, but I think you should set that number as high as possible. Mm, absolutely. Now, what about events of 2023 this year, the Auckland and Hawke's Bay floods, the cyclone? Have you been working with cases in these scenarios? Yeah, yeah. I've... Um, I've found more and more people are contacting me from uh, West Auckland and Hawke's Bay and Gisborne and those sort of places. Um, it's a bit like um, earthquake insurance, but slightly different. Mm, um, mm. Same principles, though. So um, the first question is, um, what damage has your building suffered? The next one is, how do you fix it? And if you don't know, we go and find out. The next one is, how much does that cost? Um, and the last one is who's going to pay, and that's right. your insurance policy. Um, uh, similarities between those events in Christchurch and in an insurance context is that because we don't always deal with these large insurance claims, they can get quite confusing. So if we just apply those four principles, it can really simplify mm. um, your insurance claim. What's been your biggest learning from Christchurch and from these more recent disasters as a as a lawyer yourself that you've gone, oh, that's a big learning thing uh, for me? The main thing I've learnt is um, I don't have to do what the insurer tells me. Right. Um, <laughs> if they say no, we just may need to come up with reasons to get them to say yes. Right. Um, it's your insurance policy, it's your house, and the money that they have to pay f to repair your house is actually your mm. money. So, um, like I said earlier, the first thing is you get in and put your claim in and be assertive about it and don't be told what to do. 
Mm. You prepare your claim and you tell insurance companies what you're going to do and how they're going to settle your claim. You probably just answered my next question, which was talk me through your methods or processes when it comes to insurance claims like this. How do you make things simple, as you say, so that houses can get repaired? It's it's probably worth repeating. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So everyone is an expert, but not a lot of people really... They're an expert in little bits of it, or they'll give you little piece of it, pieces of advice that means it can be quite confusing. But w- essentially, if you're finding your insurance claim a bit confusing, ask yourself four questions. Um, what is the damage? How do you fix it? How much does it cost? And who's going to pay? And if you're dealing with any issues, you work out this issue, which question is that going to sit, sit under, which part of right. the claim is that yep. going to sit under. Um, and once you put it into those different sections, it actually becomes a lot easier to understand and you can present it to the insurance company in that way. It makes it easier for them to understand and when it's easier for them to understand, they're more likely to accept your claim. Mm. When should someone engage with you? Like at what point do you go, I can't do this on my own, I need to engage a lawyer? It's like everything. I can't fix my own car, so yeah. I take it straight to the, um, <laughs> the it, mechanic. It's what we say on the show a lot, is yeah. use the professionals. That's what they're there for, yeah. yeah. But I mean... Um, but I mean, the Kiwi the, mentality too is, I'll give this a go, I'll jump on the phone, I'll yeah. sit on hold for seven hours on, on hold to an insurance company. That's exactly right. So um, as soon as you get to the point where you find yourself getting frustrated or you don't really know what to do next... I usually do, um, and that I don't sit on hold. I work out who it is that I need to talk to, and I've got a few methods of, of getting to the right person as well. So um, <laughs> uh, just when you get to that level of frustration where you're about to say something you probably shouldn't mm. on that um, telephone call, <laughs> yeah, probably a time to give me a call. Cool. So I don't know if you can answer this because it probably varies, but how long generally is a process for a consumer from engaging with you just trying to get some sort of resolution. What is that time frame? Or talk me through the journey, I guess, from once you have engaged with an insurance company to getting something settled. Sure. It's really dependent on how soon the insurer is going to agree with you. So if it's a large disagreement, so um, there's a there's a disagreement on how much damage you've suffered or how to fix the house or there's a big disagreement on cost, then that might take a long time. Now, a long time might be six to 12 months. Um, But if we can get all that information together and present it to an insurer um, in a very simple way so that they can simply understand it, then it can be a couple of months to get that sort of thing sorted. Okay. Not as long as I thought. Well, if we end up in court, it can end up being 18 months to two years. And is that because you're waiting for the court date? A little bit, yeah, but it also means um, that there's some big disagreements right. on, um, on uh, what, what the outcome should be. Um, all along that process, though, there's little exit opportunities. So if you ever find yourself sort of nine months into the process and you decide... I don't really want to do this anymore for, for whatever reason. Maybe your circumstances change. Um, there's always times you can get out so you're not necessarily locked into a mm. process. How many do you find end up in court? So, you know, if you're looking at sort of the more recent floods and damage, how much ends up in court versus you can settle? At the moment, there's not many in court at all. Oh, great. Because it's sort of at a, um, a, a time in the process where... Um, 
we just we can work things out and um, there's not a lot of um, like really big disputes mm-hmm. um, those are just starting to happen I suppose so most of them at the moment are getting settled within sort of two or three months okay your company also deals with building and construction claims what sort of claims are we talking about in this space uh, all sorts. So um, maybe somebody's built a house and it's not been built properly and it's sinking into the ground or the um, roof's leaking or the windows are leaking, that sort of thing. Um, I can step in there and run a court case against the uh, council or a builder or whoever's responsible. Um, uh, also, there's a lot of different uh, cases at the moment about... Um, Drainage, which comes out of the flooding as well. People have worked out that perhaps the drainage hasn't been constructed properly or designed correctly and that sort of thing. Um, maybe you've engaged your builder to build you a new house and um, inflation has pushed the prices right up and you've started having a fight with your builder. Ah, uh, okay. That sort of thing. So I get involved in that as well. Real mix. Yeah, keep it interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What's it like going up against local or central government and their departments? Is that a a slow process? It can be a slow (laughs) process, yeah. Um, It's all about the method. So the the way to deal with large organisations is to prepare your case early and uh, get as much information as you can at the start and then sort of treat it like you're driving a tank and you just start that tank up and you just drive slowly towards the end point which is them paying you a whole lot of money they'll uh, try and divert you um, try and confuse you or try and distract you but if you just keep driving straight in the line to getting that end point you'll get there in the end so how do you do that how do you get back on track for them so um, the idea is you have your theory of the case so let's say um uh, you've bought a house in a, a, a housing development and you've discovered that um, all of the footpaths are set at the wrong height and all of your houses are getting flooded. <coughs> right. So what we've got to do is we've got the problem and we work out the answer, then we work out who's responsible and who the responsible, responsible parties have to pay to solve the problem for you. We work that all out and then we get the case into court, so all those responsible parties, and then deal with all of the different defences that those parties mm. can throw at you. I personally find it quite engaging and enjoy enjoyable, um, but I'm not the person who's affected by yeah. it. So um, it's about um, knowing your case and having the confidence in, in your ability to, to get the outcome. Do you find central and local government want want to help, want a positive outcome or are they on the defensive or offensive because they know they're in the wrong here? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a combination Real of mix. both, yeah. yes. Quite often um, if you present a case that's pretty logically put together and really obvious then there's a real willingness to, um, to help you out. Um, but then if you perhaps get uh, have a different case or have different people dealing with it from the um, council or the government then you might um, face a bit of a fight. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I know you're not an insurance broker, but what advice would you give to a home owner or an investment listening on choosing insurance? And, you know, what should they be looking out for? What are the pitfalls? Just make sure you have insurance for your house and your contents. Um, 
probably go to a broker and find out what is the best insurance to get. Um, if you're if you have a mortgage, you're um, you have to have insurance, right? Um, and just make sure that you get the right advice about what is the right insurance for your situation. Do you find many people don't have insurance still? Uh, it's a pretty small group of people right. who don't have insurance. Yeah, right. it's a pretty important thing to have. Yeah, yeah. If you were listening last week, of course, we had Money Hub on the show, which was the consumer advice around all things like insurance. So check them out for good advice as well. Can you give me some examples of some good outcomes you've had lately, either for your client or good examples of insurance companies doing the right thing? He's smiling as I ask this question. <laughs> um, a couple of good examples. Um, uh, I acted for some people last year whose um, investment property had burnt down and they came to me when um, they just couldn't get the right amount of money to have that house rebuilt. Um, it took 12 months, but we actually doubled the amount of money that the insurance company was offering them. We got the most... Uh, the, we got that client the most amount of money that they could get out of the insurance policy. Um in the end, they were very happy with that outcome. Now, uh, in Christchurch, um, I recently acted for some people who had settled a claim years ago, but it was they'd settled it for about 10% of what the actual value was to rebuild the house. Um, it took a long time, but we took the insurer to court and um, got them... Um, a huge amount of money which um, enabled them to get on and get their house fixed about 10 years after they settled the case they settled the claim brilliant any good stories about insurance companies <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay uh let me think no we've got 10 minutes here. Come on. <laughs> um, there have been occasions where i've just put together a claim got it lodged and um the insurers had a look at it and said yeah okay we're we're going to pay this one straight away because nice. we think it's important that we do but that probably also speaks to what you said earlier about making sure it's very clear laid out well simple they can see it yeah exactly yeah. if if you're working at an insurance company and you've got uh, 400 claims you're going yeah. to process the one that stands out and is really easy to understand first. Get it off your plate and you can mm. move on to the next 399 months. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, you mentioned earlier in the show the Level 3 Government and Council Scheme where they're buying out flood-damaged properties and more info on that got released today. What what do you know in this space? Um, it's, a, it's a bit up in the air at the moment, right. but um, both the government and local councils are investing a huge amount of money to um, buy some... Uh, flood damaged properties back off people. There'll be certain conditions and it'll link in as well to um, how much insurance money you've been paid. Um, the key, I think, is to uh, read the communication from the local council, um, have a look online at what, the, what they've said about what the policy is um, and don't sign anything until you've got some advice. But um, the the positive thing coming out of it is that it's actually money going into people's pockets that mm. need it. Yes, well, especially in the Hawke's Bay area. That's, that's felt like a long time. Yes, yeah, yeah. I spent some time in Hawke's Bay earlier this year and took a ride in a helicopter around all the areas that were affected by the floods. It's pretty devastating. Why do you think it's taken so long? Um, I think it's probably a combination of needing to find the money and genuinely... Uh, not having had to deal with a disaster of the scale before. And so the um, Hawke's Bay Council for, or um, Hastings and Napier City Councils, for example, haven't 
had this scale of disaster before, and they're just normal people kicking mm. around doing their thing, um, having to learn now how to deal with responding to something so devastating. Mm. All right, a bit of a different tangent as we come towards the last part of the show. When it comes to choosing the right lawyer, what should our listeners be thinking about? Well, the way I choose a professional is I ask people I know to recommend someone to me. Mm. So um, then I've got a recommendation. Then when I talk to that person, I want to be able to understand what they're talking about. Um, It's... uh, for example, if uh, something I don't know anything about is accounting and tax, and it actually makes me a little nervous. <laughs> so um, when I chose an accountant, it was somebody who could explain things to me really simply. Mm. Um, we're on a sort of similar wavelength. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff in the law that's overly complicated and it doesn't need to be. The idea with um, choosing a lawyer is can they explain a complicated thing to me in a very simple <laughs> way? I think there's about... There's a few people in the business who do it the reverse, who complicate simple things. Yeah, not helpful, not helpful. How do you keep yourself updated with all the changes to legislation as it comes out? Uh, Well, I've got an obligation as a lawyer to do at least 10 hours of um, continuing professional development, but I find um, I stay ahead anyway because when, when somebody engages me to act for them and it's a complicated problem, I've got to go and find the answer to that problem and I do that by doing research or talking to my colleagues about what the current state of the law is in that particular area. So um, that keeps me on top of uh, um, different developments um, and it's import- that's one of the reasons I sort of stay focused on narrow areas of the law right. as well is that I can uh, keep on top of... Um, different court decisions, how the governments, uh, what different legislation the government's um, issuing and things like that. You mentioned at the start your time in Australia. What sort of differences are there between Aussie and New Zealand when it comes to things like insurance law in particular? The the actual law is very similar. So um, you can uh, look at Australian examples to learn things about how New Zealand should respond to things. but like most things, it's the people. They have a different culture over there, which is um, a little bit more um, Australian cricket team sort of <laughs> approach to things. <laughs> you win at all costs. Yeah. And um, uh, one of the things that I found interesting about moving back to New Zealand was we're a bit more laconic and we sort of like to reach agreement and talk mm. about things a bit more than be aggressive uh, in our um, approach to law. Is it a size thing too that you're probably dealing with the same six, seven insurance companies or however many we are over there? I'm guessing that world is massive. I think the market over there is bigger, but um, yeah, I suppose you could be right. There, yeah, um, I will bump into the same people over and over again, so um, it's better, I suppose, if I have a good relationship with them. <laughs> Whereas, or Australia. one that they go, oh, him, quick, settle this fast. <laughs> yeah, right. he's coming for us. <laughs> Yes. Um, or And in Australia, I guess, you can meet someone um, from Queensland and then never meet them ever again. Right, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to a career choice, so if people are listening going, oh, I'm interested in law and the legal, what do you think? Or A, why do you think it's a good career? Because there's a lot of study before you get there. And then the second part, I want to know what you think makes up a good lawyer, personality-wise. Okay, so... Um, 
Why is it a good idea? Yeah, why, why do you think this is a good career path? Sure. It's actually really hard. Well, I found it really hard um, the first few years of practising once I got out of university. Um, it's a it's sort of like a different language and a different method of um, interpreting information. But once I got through that first two or three, four years, it all started to make sense. And I derive a lot of joy out of, it sounds a bit sort of naff, but actually helping people and getting a... Um, finding out the solution to a problem or putting together a strategy, implementing that strategy and getting the outcome that you hoped from that strategy. Um, so if you're interested in that sort of thing, I would do, um, I would uh, pursue a career in the law. Um, what makes a good lawyer is um, basically having common sense um, and a little bit of confidence. So you can be the most intelligent, well-educated lawyer in the world, but if you don't have any common sense, mm. you're just not going to get that far. Um, and being a bit humble, I think, as well. Uh, um, there's a culture around uh, the law and legal education that sort of almost puts lawyers on a pedestal, and that's the reason for that is that we do have certain... Um, got to, We have to... We get, people's private information, right, yeah. all sorts of things like that that we need to take care of. But people need to realise that they're just people people as well. Mm, and um, mm. there's no need to be uh, to actually buy into that as a lawyer. You just need to be a normal human being and be nice to people. You talk about the confidence. I mean, you've got to be able to stand up and present and, um, I guess, chase insurance companies and, and be tough when it needs to be. How do you look after yourself in that space? Uh, yeah, so I spend my entire life being told by people I'm opposed to, lawyers I'm against, that I'm wrong. Um, you've got to, you've got to uh, like I said, I think earlier, you've got to prepare your case earlier mm. so, uh, at the start so that you know that you're right or you at least know which part of it's part of it you're right about and the other part you might be wrong about um, and have the confidence to run that case but also have the confidence when somebody explains to you why some part of your case is wrong to accept that mm. if they're correct um, and the other thing to do is at the end of the day switch off your computer and not think about it again until the next day yeah. and do other stuff yeah yeah it's so important yeah. have you set sort of goals for where you want your company to go uh, or you sure. personally, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so if I interview you in five years' time, what will you say? <laughs> um, presumably someone will have bought my business <laughs> because it's so successful. Um, look, uh, I, I, I think I said it earlier, I just enjoy working with people and coming up with solutions for people and I've found that if I stick to those principles, um, life just presents things for me and opportunities come up and I follow them. So... Um, uh, 20 years ago, I never really thought I'd be back in New Zealand right, <laughs> right. living in the burbs, but um, it just happens. So uh, who knows where the next 10 or 15 years are going to take me. Is there a career highlight or highlights that you look back on? Um, I'm really throwing them the questions now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> career highlights. Um, it's really difficult to talk about career highlights because... If I'm going to tell you about some really great outcomes that I got, I've almost got to disclose stuff mm, that's confidential. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, 
Um, for I can confidently tell people that um, I can usually, if somebody comes to me with a house, a damaged house claim, I can pretty confidently say I'll increase that claim by about two hundred thousand dollars. And the the reason that I can do that is the years of practice and the fact that I really know how to do this mm. sort of stuff. And I, I think it's weird, but I think that's sort of a career highlight because I'm yeah, now on totally. top of my game yeah. and I know how to do that. So um, other career highlights are um, having a really successful outcome uh, with a case in Christchurch that was very complicated and um, the client buying me an enormous bottle of cold champagne and um, <laughs> drinking it with me after the case. Um, yeah, it was really, really enjoyable. What would be one of the toughest times then that in your career or, or biggest struggles? Sure. I was sitting in a courtroom uh, in, I think, 2017, and uh, a barrister beside me, who's now a judge, was making some submissions about our case. And the judge said something to that barrister that made me realise we were going to lose. And um, it wasn't really anything that we'd done wrong. It was just the way the judge was looking at the case differently to the way that we we were looking at it. And um, it's a pretty devastating feeling mm. to know that you're not going to be successful in a case for somebody. Um, in the end, it wasn't a disastrous loss. It just meant one factor in the case wasn't going to go our way, but the client did get an outcome in the end. But um, yeah, it was a is a low point, but I definitely learned from it um, uh, how to avoid that happening in the future. Yeah. As a, as a student at high school, did you see law as, as something you would definitely go down that path? Uh, when I was at high school, I went to the guidance counsellor, I think yeah, that yeah. was called, and uh, <laughs> I was told I should do um, trade union studies. I didn't even know what that meant, but um, uh, I... At school, I was always the kid who did all the talking for my friend uh, group, my friend group that got into trouble. So I would um, be in the deputy principal's office explaining why these friends of mine were negotiating. Sort of yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it was always something I was going to do. <laughs> Love it. Well, Andrew, I've really enjoyed talking to you today, and far more than I expected around insurance. Then, yeah, and it's a pretty dry topic. Isn't it? No, but it, it's no very interesting, and, and I understand now that need to specialise. And as we always say on the show, whether you know you're looking at finance, investment, insurance, now law. Use the professionals. Use the people that are experts in their fields. They make your life easier. How can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more or book you in? Uh, jump on the website, dempseyferguson.co.nz or give me a call, 021-225-7316. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time here on a Monday. Thanks, Stephen. And thanks for tuning in. As always, if you've got any questions or anything you would like to talk about on the show or a guest that you'd like us to track down, email us at propertymatters at barfoot.co.nz. You can listen to previous episodes on Spotify, Apple, Samsung or iHeartRadio or wherever good podcasts are played. We are back next week. Have a fabulous week and we'll catch you again soon. Drive safe home. Take care.